do is take, take our Bibles, please. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. A little bit. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 5. The Gospel of Luke tonight, chapter number 5. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 27. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 5, verse 27. Appreciate all of you coming out tonight on this Saturday night. I appreciate those of you that prayed for us last night. We traveled back home to Knoxville and got our family and brought them back over this afternoon. He wants them to stand. Barb, you all stand. Barb and Rebecca and little Jonathan. Appreciate them coming over. Appreciate my family. And uh, it was not without great difficulty. We was going, I was going back home last night and uh, hit a two-and-a-half-hour delay, dead-stop delay from Asheville to Newport. We're working on the road, and I thought, man, alive, you know, this late getting in about 3 o'clock this morning, and then coming back this afternoon, hit the same thing on the other side of the interstate. We had a two-hour delay, and got here, rushing in here, and I sent Barb. I said, y'all go down there to the Burger King, get you something to eat, and they did, and she called me from there, and she said, honey, she said, the van won't start. And uh, so Brother Wagner was gracious. He and another dear brother's gone over there to see if they can get the van started. So I said, I wish I was like Brother Billy because I've heard Brother Kelly tell in days gone by when he has a flat tire, he just gets out on the side of the road and sits and waits on somebody to come and change it. And, but I'm not made up like that. I tell you, I, there's my nerves up sometimes when things don't run just like they ought to. But it's been good to be here all week long. I've enjoyed getting to preach to you and the privilege and the honor to come to Greer Baptist Camp. And I've really enjoyed it. And I trust that the Lord has used our feeble efforts in some way to, to feed you and give you something that will help you and to encourage you on in the work of the Lord. And I want you to pray for us tonight as we try to preach. I've got to leave tonight after service and go down to Columbia and be there tomorrow morning and tomorrow night. So I've preached uh, since last Sunday. I've been preaching twice last Sunday, twice this Sunday, and every night this week. And honest, I don't know what it is preaching here at Greer, but uh, this thing zaps me. I got sweat drips out of my ties, sweat drips off my britchy legs, and I'm sloshing in my shoes when I get through up here. But I've enjoyed getting to be here. appreciate Dr. Seitler and all of you, but I appreciate Dr. Seitler getting to come every night. But he was away preaching on Monday night. He was over in my neck of the woods over in Tennessee preaching on Monday night. It's been good to have him all week long. Just maybe a little Sunday school lesson tonight. I really am. I'm awful tired, and I want you to pray for me. But I believe there's some things here the Lord will show us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 5, verse 27. Let's pick up reading in verse 27 tonight, and you read with me. The Bible said, And after these things, he went forth, and he saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levite made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said unto him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. And he said unto them, Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. 
And he spake also a parable unto them, No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilt, and the bottles shall perish. But Jesus said in verse 38, But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth anew, for he saith, The old is better. Now, that's reading down through verse number 39, verse 27 down through verse number 39. And I want you to follow with me tonight as we look for three different things. I'm looking tonight for a new worker by the name of Levite. I'm looking for a new wardrobe, a new wardrobe that you'll find in these verses, and also new wine. Three new things that you find in these verses tonight. A new worker by the name of Levite, a new wardrobe, and then new wine. And if you've been saved and born again, then you can identify with all three of these different points tonight. And if you're here, I thought about it as I was sitting over there getting ready to preach. Only the Lord knows who's saved and who's not saved in this tabernacle tonight. And there may be some young man, some young lady, maybe some mother, some dad that's sitting here tonight and they never really have been converted. They've never been saved by the good grace of God. And friend, don't deceive yourself. Everybody that comes to Greer Baptist Camp, we've had some good crowds this week, but I doubt very seriously that everybody that's been here every night under this tabernacle is saved by the grace of God. I know this is the cream of the crop, but even in our own crowd, friend, there's probably those that are deceived, they made a religious profession when they were young. They, they joined the church and they tried to, to do right, but they never have been saved. So I want you to examine yourself tonight, whether you be in the faith and prove your own self tonight, except you be reprobate, Paul said. Now go back with me tonight to verse 27. Now hang with me. We're traveling through these verses and I believe God will show us some things. In Luke chapter number 5, Verse number 27, I call verse number 27 this, the call of salvation, the call of salvation. The Bible said, and after these things, he, Christ, went forth and he saw a publican named Levite sitting at the receipt of custom and he said unto him, follow me. Now you need to understand that Levite is none other than Matthew. The same man that pinned down the gospel of Matthew, this is him right here in Luke chapter 5 verse 27. Levite was Matthew and he was sitting there at the receipt of custom. He was a tax collector. The publican was a tax collector in that day and you understand this, they were looked down upon. They were hated in that day. They were despised by all the Jews and the tax collectors are not much more thought of in the day that we live in, especially around April the 15th. But here he was now, old Matthew, sitting at that receipt of custom and what he he was doing, he was extorting excess taxes out of the people, and he was skimming that, and that's how he was making his living, friend, in league with the Roman government. And here he is, a despicable man, a man wrapped up in fraudery and all of this. 
But aren't you glad Jesus came where he was? Everybody else looked down on him. Nobody else wanted anything to do with him. But Jesus loved even a publican friend, a tax collector, that nobody else would have probably carried the gospel to. The Bible said here he came where Levite was, and Levite was sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, he said, follow me. Now, that's what it means to get saved by the grace of God, friend. You become a follower or a disciple, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Matthew, Levite, I'm extending to you the call. I'm calling you follow me. And I believe, friend, if you ever get saved, listen to me, if you ever get saved by the grace of God, you had to hear the call of the Holy Ghost. You must be brought under conviction, friend. Now, you've heard this said, and think about it, it's true. The whole lost world out there tonight, the whole lost world, the lost world is under condemnation, it's under condemnation, but it's not all of them out there is under conviction. Not every sinner is under conviction, friend. No, they're under condemnation, but not every sinner is under conviction. And the only way you can get saved and born again, there must be Holy Ghost conviction in your life, in your heart, drawing you to the Lord Jesus Christ. You just don't decide one day, friend, you're going to get saved. You just don't tip your hat to the Son of God and, and say, well, I think I've lived in sin long enough and, and now I'll try Jesus. It doesn't work like that. There must be a Holy Ghost conviction to get saved. And that's how the call of salvation comes is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You believe that if you believe your Bible. Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. And it's through the power of the Holy Ghost, through the Word of God, that he convicts sinners. That he convinces sinners of their need of the Lord Jesus and he calls them. He calls them. Now I believe this. I believe that the Lord can save a hundred people at one time. I believe the Lord could save a thousand at one time. I believe he did on the day of Pentecost. What was it? Some 3,000 souls were saved and added to the church the day Simon Peter stood and he preached. But hey, you listen to me. Every one of those 3,000, friend, they heard the call of God. They felt that call through the power of the preaching of the Word of God. Salvation is an individual matter. An individual matter. God doesn't just save houses and households all at one time. Though a mother and a daddy and a son and a daughter might get saved the same night. But he doesn't call households a friend. He calls individuals. And if you got saved, you had to hear and sense the call of salvation. Matthew sitting there, Levite sitting there, and Jesus comes where he is, he's at and looks at him and said, Levite, follow me, follow me. There's the call of salvation. Notice in verse 28, here's the conversion of the sinner. The conversion of the sinner. The Bible said, and he, Levite, he left. How much? How much did he leave? 99%. 
99.99%. The Bible said, and he left all. He rose up and followed him. There is a good picture of the conversion of the sinner. You see Levite sitting there. He hears the call. He's confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Levite knew he was a sinner. He knew he was extorting excess taxes out of those people. He knew that. And Jesus said, I want you to follow me. And the Bible said he left all and he rose up and he followed him. There's a good picture right there of repentance, friend. He turned his back on that wicked lifestyle. That he was living that fraudulent life, that wicked life, and he left it all, and he rose up, and he followed Jesus. Now, that's what it used to mean to get saved. And that's what preachers used to expect out of people that said they got saved. That it meant they were going to turn their back on sin and come to the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith. Is that not in the Bible? That repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, friend. They used to believe if you got saved, then you'd get out of the adultery business. They used to believe if you got saved, you'd get out of the liquor business, like Brother Billy talked about that man tonight. And they used to believe if you got saved, friend, the card games were over and the pool games were over, that billiard in gambling. They believe you'd just, you get saved, you'd become a new creature in Christ Jesus and you would follow Him. Him. Follow him. Now I know that you're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But isn't, isn't it something that, that when we got saved, when we got saved, God showed us that sin was wrong and put his finger on sin in our life and convicted us, convicted us, friend. Now this is not necessarily as strong for young people as it is some older people. You see, younger people have not been wrapped up in the cords of sin like somebody 25 or 30 years old that gets saved. But I do believe this. I'll go to my grave believing this. I believe the Holy Ghost will put His finger in conviction upon that sin that's dominating your life and controlling your life and warding your life. As a sinner, He'll put His finger on that. He'll, he'll, he'll put His finger on that. Yes, sir, friend. You get over there, that rich young ruler. You go on over there to that rich young ruler and see him when Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. Jesus said, you're not to commit adultery and all these other things. And that old boy said, not guilty. And Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. Go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and take up the cross and follow me. And the Bible said he was sad at that saying. You know why he didn't want to go sell what he had and give it to the poor? His riches was the Lord of his life, friend. Riches controlled him control him I do believe I'm going to go on preaching like this I believe that you must repent to get saved now I said the other night and I say again tonight this is almost when you preach on repentance anymore it's almost like it's a, a new doctrine that people are hearing but you go back and reread the old writers 
Go back and reread the preachers of a hundred years ago, friend. I tell you this preaching, repent. Repent or burn. Repent or burn. Turn or burn. That's what they would say. Today we've got this newfangled type of gospel that doesn't know anything, does not embrace anything, but just believe. Just believe. I'm going to tell you something, friend. I believe faith and repentance are like Siamese twins. They work together, friend. They work together. Now, you say, Brother Buster, did you understand all that when you got saved? Why, no, you didn't either. I wasn't a theologian, and I'm not now. I didn't understand all that when I got saved. But I know that God called me, and he dealt with me. And I knew I was a sinner. And I knew some of the sins in my life that God was dealing with. And I tell you, when I came to Christ that morning and cried for forgiveness, I wanted him more than anything else in all the world. You don't get saved. Now watch this. You don't get saved hanging on to your sins and say, well, Jesus, I want some hell insurance. I want some hell insurance and I'm going to go right on sinning and right on living in sin and right on lording my life, Lord. I'm going to let you give me a fire escape to heaven, but I'm going to run my own life and I'm going to go right on sinning like I always did. You're not going to get saved like that. No, no, I don't care what they say today. Uh-uh. Except you repent and take God's side against yourself free and except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And that's the message that's been preached down through the years. And it's not a strange message. It's a Bible message. The conversion of the sinner in verse 28. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. I tell you, O Levite, to me, he professed a good profession right there. He's saying, I've heard the call, and I'm going to leave it all. And he rose up, and he followed him. Amen. All right, hang on to verse number 29. You'll like this one. If you don't like one of these, you'll like this. I don't see how you can help but a like in the Bible. The King James Bible, line on line, verse on verse. Surely you can't get mad at the Bible, friend. The Bible said in verse number 29, And Levite, what's this now? And Levite made him, Christ, a great feast in his own house. And, and you know, Levite had never been to a soul winning seminar. He didn't know nothing about uh, uh, the seven easy steps to salvation. He didn't. He didn't. Listen, the Romans Road hadn't even been written yet, uh, or nor, nor any of that. But old Levite has, uh, has heard the call. He's accepted Christ. He's following the Lord. And you know what happened? There's the call of salvation, the conversion of the sinner. And then in verse number 29, there's the automatic concern for souls. Just as sure as a little duck will take to water, if a man or a woman, boy or girl, gets saved, there will be a concern, friend, a concern for sinners. Amen. Did you see what happened to Levite? He, I see him get excited. And boy, that burden of sin has been lifted. And he's following the Lord Jesus. And, and you know what he wants? He wants everybody to meet the Lord. He wants all of his tax collecting buddies. And the Bible said there was a great company of publicans and of others. And of others that sat down with them. Have you ever wondered who the others were there? He got all of his tax collecting buddies. He said, come on over to the house, men. He said, I'm going to have a big feast, a homecoming. I'm going to have a big spread on the ground. And he said, I want all you other people to come. There might have been harlots. 
They might have been thieves, thugs, and outlaws. Levi got everybody he knew to get together. And guess why? He wanted Jesus to be the guest of honor. And I see him invite the Lord and the Lord's disciples. And you see, Levi didn't know an orthodox way about soul winning. He went at it kind of an unorthodox way. But he got the job done, friend. And he got sinners to the Lord Jesus. Yes, sir. He invited Jesus and there's all these publicans. There's all these sinners of all sorts and sizes. And you see, anytime you do something the unorthodox way, guess what will happen? The scribes and Pharisees will rise up to put their two cents worth in. And that's what happens in verse number 30. Now hang on, go back to verse 29 a minute. When you got saved, and since you've been saved, friend, do we have a concern for souls tonight? Do we have a concern for people that are dying lost without the Lord Jesus Christ and plunging off into a Christless eternity? Do we think about that much? Do we think about it much? Paul said, my prayer, and he said there in, in Romans, he said, my prayer, my heart's desire is for Israel to be saved. He wanted his people to be saved and his nation to be saved. May God help us. May God help us. Do we still pass out tracts? Do we still share the gospel with other people? Amen. Sure we ought to, friend. We ought to have a concern for souls. And old Levite, he gets this just as automatic when he got saved to become a follower as it were. He... He had a concern for other people's souls that they'd come to Jesus. Watch verse number 30. Here's the accusation of the scribes. And I don't mean this in the wrong way now, but here's some of that. I'm not knocking. Don't go out of here and say Brother Buster was knocking fundamentalist. I'm not knocking fundamentalist. I believe in the fundamentals of the faith, friend, and that we're fundamental in believing the Word of God as it is. But there's a lot of this crowd today that's almost funny and mentally in the head. Almost funny and mental in the head. And here's some of these straight-laced boys in that day. The scribes and the Pharisees, friend. They were the goody two-shoes boys. Oh, they got highly upset at the Lord's working here in the Lord's disciples, verse 30. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against His disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? They said, Hey, hey. They said, wait a minute now. What you boys been in there? Y'all been in Levi's house. We saw you go in there and there's other tax collectors and there's a bunch of sinners and publicans. What y'all doing in there? What y'all doing there eating and drinking with, with sinners? That's what they said, wasn't it? I've met some fundamentalists just like that. I've met some independent Baptists just like that. And I'm an independent Baptist from the top of my head to the sole of my foot. I'm going to tell you something for you. God help us well to have a burden to reach sinners in these last days. And uh, well, that crowd got upset. They said, y'all been in there eating and drinking with publicans and with sinners. Now they wasn't hobnobbing and running with that sinful crowd. Levi wanted them to come over there and he wanted those sinners to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, and you know what happened? That scribes and Pharisees got upset. Hang on now. They said, what are y'all doing in there? They said to his disciples, see, why, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Let me ask you something, friend. How long has it been since you took an old sinner out to eat? 
How long has it been since you had a sinner over at your house and tried to feed him a little bit and encourage him and tell him about the work of God and the salvation of the Lord? Here a while back, I had an old boy there in Knoxville. He's not a boy. He's about 50 years old. His name is Jimmy Mack. And Jimmy Mack is a street person in Knoxville. He walks the streets of Knoxville, Tennessee. He's a derelict of society. He used to drive a Corvette and he used to have all the big time things but, but drugs and, and, and liquor and alcohol has took him down, down, down and now he's a street person, friend. I mean, his hair's all grown out in a big old beard and tattered clothes. And so last year it was, I believe it was last year during the winter time, he called me and he said, Preacher, I could use a little help. He's about to freeze to death. I went and got him some kerosene and, and I talked to him. My wife fixed a cake and I took it up to the little old camping trailer he was living in and, and, and I told him about the Lord, told him about Jesus and the grace of God and I said, Jimmy, I want you to go to church with me one night. Hey, he laughed, he chuckled, he said, hey, he said, Buster, I ain't been to church in over 27 years. I said, well, it won't hurt you to go, will it? I said, if you'll go with me, we'll stop down to Cracker Barrel and I'll feed you. He said, I don't have no more clothes. He said, I don't have no more clothes. And he said, Buster, I know I stink and smell. I said, Jimmy, it'll be all right. You can go with me. I was preaching in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I want him to go so I could ride with him and talk to him and share the gospel with him. And you know, when he got down there to church, he kind of got cold feet on me. And he said, Preacher, I smell and I, I don't have any more clothes. I said, you'll be all right. He said, well, what if they don't let me in? I said, you don't understand. I'm preaching the meeting and they'll let you in. If they don't let you in, I said, I ain't going in. Got him in there and he said, on the back row. And that night he heard the gospel for the first time in 27 years, friend. And I tried to preach on John 3, 16. Jimmy didn't get saved. He didn't get saved, but he heard the word of God and knew that God loved him. We headed out of there and I changed clothes. And we went up to the Cracker Barrel and I went in there to feed him like I promised him. And there were some people that came from the meeting. And some other preachers in that area came in there to the Cracker Barrel. And there I sat with this old sinner. I mean, as rough as any motorcycle bum you ever met. And I mean, just rough and gruff. And, and some of them preachers that cocked their heads and, and cast down their scornful eyes upon me. Like, what are you doing with him? I want to tell you something, friend. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And you better say hallelujah and amen right there because you've not always been saved. And one day he came to you in your sinful state and showed you that he was a friend of sinners. Oh, friend. May the Lord help us. Oh, Levi said, I got a burden for souls. And the scribes and Pharisees told Jesus' disciples, said, what are y'all doing there eating and drinking with them publicans and sinners? It's against the law. It's not right, they said. It's unorthodox. Look at verse number 31. The accusation of the scribes, but here's the acclamation of the Savior. Did you notice Jesus didn't let his disciples answer this question? The Bible said, and Jesus answering said unto them, you see the Lord picked up on that. He heard what they said. And Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician. Now look up here a minute. Hold your place, look up here. I kind of picture this in my mind's eye like this. Here's Levite's house. And there's the disciples coming out. Over here stands the publicans, excuse me, the scribes and the Pharisees, those goody-two-shoe boys. And, and here stands the Lord Jesus. 
And he hears what they've told his disciples. And Jesus said, I came not. I can almost see him pointing at him. He said, I came not to call the righteous. He said, I came not to call. He said, that they that are whole. He points at him maybe and says, they that are whole need not a physician. They that are whole need not a physician. But they that are sick. Then he said in verse 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you see how Jesus dealt with this? And what he's doing, he's dressing them scribes and Pharisees down, buddy. They're standing over there with all of their little fence commandments. They added a whole bunch of other commandments to the Word of God. Somebody told me some 618 different laws that they'd added and added and added. And friend, they boasted and they prided themselves in wearing their prolacrities and their long garments and making long prayers and fasting and praying so everybody could see them. But they wouldn't try to help a sinner. They wouldn't approach a sinner with the gospel. Jesus said, I don't tell you boys something. They that are whole, they don't need a physician. Now don't you misunderstand what he's saying. What he's saying is, you think you're whole. You think you're whole. But he said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Can I ask you a question? Did you ever see yourself sin sick one day? Did you ever see yourself sin sick and in need of the great physician? He didn't come to call those that are whole. You say, preacher, I don't, I don't believe I'm a sinner. Brother Buster, I don't believe I've ever sinned. I've been a good man, a good woman. Have you ever met that crowd that don't feel like they're a sinner? You can't hardly find a sinner in 1995. I mean, a dope addict, a harlot, anybody you get around, they about all confess some kind of a religious experience. And there's not many sinners. But you see, he came not to call the whole. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And then on the heels of that statement, while everybody's looking, he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he did come to call sinners to repentance. That's what your Bible said. He said, you see, you boys think you're whole. You boys, you, you, you think it's your righteous. He said, I can't help you. I have nothing for you. Because you think you're whole and you think that you're righteous. But he said, these are the ones. I came to those that are sick. I've come to those that are sinners. And I want to say hallelujah. I'm glad he did, friend. I'm glad he did or I'd have never got in. He's dressing them boys down. And while he's got their attention. Now, we've seen this new worker here by the old name of Levite. Old Levite's got in, buddy. He's become a new worker he left the tax collecting business and he went into the fishing business. And he wasn't fishing for fishes. He was a fishing for the souls of men now. A new worker by the name of Levi. But now watch this. We come to verse number 33. He's dressed them scribes and Pharisees down. Did you see it? He's cut them to the quick. He's exposed them for the religious charlatans that they really are. And they try to bounce back. They try to bounce back and, and pigeonhole the Son of God. They said in verse 33, they, that's those scribes and Pharisees, and they said unto him, unto Jesus, why do the disciples of John fast often? Now they drew up John the Baptist, see? They pulled him up because they knew everybody esteemed John highly. And they said, now Jesus, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, they said, Jesus, look at us, Jesus, 
They said, well, I'm tell you something. John's disciples fast, and they make long prayers, and they pray, and so do our disciples. But look at yours. They said, but thine eat and drink. Now, they're trying to turn the tables on the Son of God. He's cut them to the quick, friend. He's dressed them down, and they're exposed for who they really are. They're not righteous. They're not whole. They're religious sinners. Religious sinners. Oh, when you expose a religious sinner, a lot of times they'll attack you. They'll try to fly back at you, friend. So they drag up John the Baptist. And they drag up their, they said, our disciples, they fast and pray and so do John's. But look at yours. Yours are eating and a drink. Verse 34, I like the way the Son of God handles this. You don't pigeonhole the Son of God, friend. You don't back the Lord up in a corner, friend. The Bible said, and he said unto them, can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now he's using an illustration that they were familiar with in that day. He said, all right, you've asked me a question. Why do mine eat and drink? He said, uh, scribes and Pharisees, can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Bible said there in verse number 35, he said, he said, verse 35, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and then shall they fast in those days. You understand what he's saying? Can you get the picture? They understood what he was talking about, the bridegroom and the children of the bride chamber in that day. Uh, the children of the bride chamber would stay with the bridegroom until the bridegroom went out to get the bride. And then, you see, as long as the bridegroom was there with the children of the bride chamber, it wasn't a time to fast and be sorrowful and unhappy. It was a time of merriment and happiness, friend. Jesus said in verse 35, But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. Here's what he's saying. They think they backed the Son of God up in, the, in a corner, and Jesus said, Hey, boys, do you understand? Can you understand that I am the bridegroom and these disciples are the children of my bride chamber and it's not a time for them to fast and to pray and to mourn. I'm with them. But he said, the days will come when I, the bridegroom, shall be taken away from them and then shall they fast in those days. And I want to hasten to say he's been gone now about 2,000 years. And the church has been fasting and praying and, and fasting and praying. But before much longer, friend, I'm of the persuasion that, that our heavenly bridegroom is coming back for the children of his bride chamber. And our fasting days and our praying days will all be said and done. Amen. See, he's dressing them down again. He's cut them to the quick now. I like the way the Lord handles things. Now go with me to verse 36. Stay with me, stay with me. There's a little blessing in here. And he spake also a parable. Why, he's got their attention now. And everybody's a listener. I mean, scribes and Pharisees, publicans and sinners, and the disciples. Everybody's a listener. And he spake also a parable unto them. Now I heard this years ago, and it's very elementary, but it's, it conveys what I want to say. I, you say, preacher, what is a parable? What is a parable? A good a good definition for this for a country boy like me. A parable is a heavenly truth conveyed through an earthly illustration. A parable, when you read of a parable in the Bible, it's the Lord teaching a heavenly truth oftentimes through an earthly illustration. Now watch what, now remember the scribes and Pharisees are standing there. And he spake also a parable unto them. 
He said, no man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent. The piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. Well, I read that, read that, read that, and I said, hallelujah. That's inspired in there. That's infallible. That's uh, the authoritative word of God. But for a long time, I didn't understand. I thought I had a little understanding about what he was saying. But as I began to read and study a little bit, I, I found out he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he's using something that everybody's familiar with. He said, no man, no man, not even the Son of God, friend, no man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old garment. Well, why, Lord? If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. Now, can I kind of bring it down to a little crude illustration? Let's say tonight that I was up here preaching in a big way, and I slipped and I fell, and, and I tore a hole in these trousers. And I tore a hole in this elbow of this coat. And, and uh, this thing come from probably Hamrick's over there around Knoxville, Tennessee. And I said, somebody catch a plane. Fly to Hammers, so Hamrick's over there in Knoxville and, and get me a, a gray suit with a little white line in it. Bring one just like, bring a brand new suit and hang it up here. And here I am in this old sweaty suit with a torn knee and a torn elbow. And I said, I want one of you good ladies to get your pink and shears. And I want you to come and I want you to cut a hole in this new coat. Cut a hole in these new trousers and patch up my suit. Why, they'd say, Brother Buster, you're crazy. There ain't no need in doing that. No, Brother Buster. If I could get them to do it, I'd say, I'm the preacher. I'm the man of God. You're supposed to be in submission to defile this new garment and patch up my old garment. Well, you know what we'd do if they did that? If they took a piece out of the new and a piece out of the new and patched up this old thing, just as soon as I sent this thing to the cleaners, guess what happened? The new would shrink, and it would make the rent worse. And everybody would know I was wearing a patched-up garment. You see what Jesus is saying? He said, boys, you're going back in that law, and you're picking it out like patchwork. You're getting you a little of this like a smorgasbord. You're getting a little of this, a little of that, and, and you're patching that old man up. You're patching that old man up. He said, no man, no man puts a piece of a new garment upon an old. What this is talking about salvation, friend. Salvation. You say, preacher, what are you trying to say? Well, if I had that new garment here, and I had this old tattered garment on, you know what the best thing I could ever do would be? That old song they used to sing back up in the mountains. Two coats was before me, an old and a new. I'll tell you the very best thing that I ever did do was when I laid off the old coat and I put on the new. Do you get what I'm trying to say? A lot of people are trying to patch up the old man. They're trying to patch up the old man. The Lord didn't come to patch us up. He come to clothe us in the garments of salvation, friend. A lot of people, all they've got is a baptismal patch. All they've got is a little Sunday school certificate patch. All they've got is mom and daddy telling them this and that, and that's their little patch. Patches aren't going to get you to heaven. No, no. Uh-uh. You understand? I'm glad the day I got saved, as it were, I laid off that old garment and I put on the new. And I've been clothed in the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I don't see you in no new garment. I'm not worried about you seeing it. No way. You're not the one I'm worried about seeing it. I'm glad the Lord knows. Understand what Jesus was saying in that day. They knew no man took a piece of a new garment and, and, and passed up an old garment. Watch in verse 37. Jesus said, no man, no man, no man putteth new wine. That means unfermented wine. 
New wine was the pure grape juice, unfermented. No man putteth new wine into old bottles. Notice what he said, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilt, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must. They tell me that word there means it's an absolute divine imperative. New wine must be put into new bottles. And when you get new wine into new bottles, both are preserved. Now, what's he saying? He's using something they could understand in that day. They didn't have bottles like we think about glass bottles today. They used flasks, goat skins that had been cured and dried out, and they'd make a wine flask out of that thing. And here's an old bottle. You get to picture an old wine skin. And it's had old wine in it, fermented wine. And Jesus said, no man putteth a new wine, unfermented wine. No man putteth new wine into an old bottle. Now, you could take and wash that old bottle out, take and wash it a wine skin out, get all the old wine out of it, wash it out a little bit, you know. And then if you tried to put new wine into a new bottle, Jesus said, no man does that. No man does that. You say, well, preacher, won't it work? No. You see, in that old wine skin that it evidently had old wine in it at one time, though it had been emptied out and, and kind of been cleaned a little bit, the chemicals, the chemicals of that old wine had embedded themselves in that wine skin. And if you put new wine in there, what would happen, it would do like the old timers called it, it would work itself off. It would begin to draw from those chemicals and those chemicals of that old wine would, would pollute the new wine and, and it would work itself off and, and that thing would expand and there'd be an explosion, friend. It'd blow that wine skin all to pieces. Can I make a, a, a crude analogy? I've got a good preacher friend down in Chattanooga and old brother Donnie Burns used to be in the penitentiary and God saved him out of that. Make a long story short, there at his church in McDonald, Tennessee, he could, he could go down to Chattanooga and buy food, eight cents a pound at the food bank. Whatever kind they had, eight cents a pound. And so he had him a little old uh, Sunday school room with shells on it. And he'd go down there and get canned goods. He'd get cereal. He'd get whatever they had and stock his little old shells at his church. And when a missionary come by, he'd load him down or a widow or somebody in the church had a bad, uh, a bad week, not a paycheck. He'd go get groceries. Well, one day when he was at that food bank, they had apple cider. Eight cents a pound in plastic jugs. And he bought several gallons of them. This is the truth. Judgment day honesty. And he put that apple cider down there with all of his other stuff. And every month he'd make up a care package and take it to all the senior saints in the church. Well, they got down and got canned goods, got cereal and all that stuff. And he put a jug of apple cider in every one of them. And he took it to the shut-ins. Dr. Siler, it wasn't but a few days. He got some calls like this. They said, Preacher, I, my lumbago's better. And Preacher, uh, Mr. Arthritis hadn't visited me today. And, and Preacher, I tell you, uh, if you got any more of that apple cider, would you bring us a little bit? And he knew something had done went and gone wrong, friend. And he had all that stuff down there in a hot Sunday school room. He hung the phone up, run over to church, got in the basement, opened that door, and some of those jugs of apple cider had done blow the lids off, busted right down the middle. They had worked themselves off. Now, the preacher asked God to forgive him, and I pray that everybody that drunk that stuff got forgiveness. They didn't know what was going on. But do you see what I'm saying? You cannot. You say, what's the illustration, preacher? You cannot take new wine, the, the unfermented wine, which is the new life of Christ, salvation, if you will. You can't take that and put it into an old, an old bottle. 
It won't work. It won't work. That's what we've tried to do for the last 35 and 40 years. Under zeal and and determination and a lot of zeal and not much knowledge, we've tried to cram salvation, the new wine, into old bottles. And it hadn't worked. And that's the reason we got blow-ups and blow-outs and fall-outs and shoot-outs and every kind of other outs you've ever thought about. Amen. But you know what? If you'll take that new wine and get you a brand new wine skin that ain't never had no old wine in it, and you take new wine, put it into a new wine skin, that Bible of yours said both are preserved. If I had, didn't have another verse for eternal security, right there is all I'd need right there. You get the new life of Christ into a brand new bottle and both are preserved. You say, preacher, you're trying to tell me that you're a new person? Oh, Brother Buster, don't you understand that Jesus came in to you, that old man, hang on now a minute. When Jesus saved me, listen to me, when Jesus saved me, the moment he saved me, the moment that I repented and believed by faith, I tell you, there was circumcision made without hands upon my heart, and I got birthed into the family of God. The Holy Ghost made a new creation inside of me, and he placed his seed in there, and I tell you, there's a new man living on the inside of me that never has sinned, that never will sin. That, that seed that remains in me uh, is the seed of the Holy Ghost and he cannot sin, friend. Amen. You say, is that theologically sound? Well, you, you get the approval of the brethren after church, but it's theologically sound. He sealed me. Sealed me till the day of redemption. And his seed remains in me. Now this flesh sins, that old nature sins, but there's a new man living on the inside of here. Now see this little old toe-headed boy, I came forward. I just as honest and sincere as I knew how to be in that old church down yonder at Beach Grove. I came forward, I got scared. I didn't know I was a sinner. I didn't know I was lost. I didn't understand all that. I didn't know nothing. I just came forward and they said, pray. And I prayed. They said, how you feel? I said, better. And they had me crying for every cup. And they said, well, you're saved. Well, you see, little old boy, I came forward, but there never was a change. And the older I got, the more into sin I went. The more into sin I went. The more, and I tried to convince myself, well, I'm saved. I prayed the prayer. I joined the church. They baptized me. But you see, it never did take. I never did get saved till August the 8th, 1976, at about a quarter to 12 on a Sunday morning in my mother's kitchen on the floor. I heard the call of God. The Holy Ghost been convicting me and drawing me. And that morning I fell out with sin. I called out upon God and said, Lord, if there's anything left in my life, you can have it. Please, Lord, will you take me? And I don't know how to explain this. All I know is the burden of sin and guilt lifted friend. And I felt like a brand new creature on the inside. That's why, that's why they don't last today. That's why people don't last. If you ever get new wine into a new bottle, both are preserved. Hello? Wasn't it amazing that years... Wasn't it amazing? Y'all, you old-timers, you gray-headed folk, you, you about, I'm coming on behind you getting some wine up or two. But some of you senior saints, don't you remember? 
You remember when sinners got saved, friend? I mean, they fell out with sin. They fell in love with the Savior, and they followed Him. They lived for Him. They served Him, friend. They might have wobbled some on the axle, but I tell you, they didn't stay out yonder in sin. God had cut them down. They'd fill a premature grave, and God would take them home. You say, preacher, how can this crowd today commit adultery and sin and live like, like Hades all, all the time and go to church about once or twice a year? I'll tell you how they can do it. They ain't never been saved. Now you say, preacher, you have that old school. That's how I cut my teeth. On old time salvation. And therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Well, I can see them sinners. They're nodding their heads. Them publicans and sinners are saying, Jesus. Jesus is telling what? See, they knew no man put new wine into an old bottle. You can't do that. You have to put new wine into a new bottle. When you get new wine into a new bottle, both are preserved. All right, hang on. You're listening real good. Verse 39, we're almost through. Jesus said in verse 39, he sums this entire message up. Jesus said, no man, and watch this, no man also having drunk old wine. That old wine is a picture of that fermented wine. It's a picture of the sinful life. No man also having drunk old wine, been exposed to that sinful lifestyle. No man drinketh, no man having drunk old wine straightway desireth new. Jesus said, never has been that way. He said, they don't straightway desireth new, for he saith that man or woman, that boy or girl that's tasted the old wine, he won't straightway desire new, for he saith the old is better. The old is better. The old is better. Now, you know, that's the reason we need to pray that these young people get saved and get born again and come to Christ, friend, before they ever get out yonder and, and, and indulge and taste of the old wine of this world. Because you know what they'll do? They'll do like a lot of us did. They'll come in the house of God and they've drank of the old wine of the world, the sinful lifestyle. They'll sit back there and say, no, no, I don't want this new wine. The old's better. The old's better. The old's better. Tonight, if we could take Brother Billy Kelly's truck, Dr. Kelly's truck, and we got us some pure grape juice, and we got 1,500 gallons of it, pure grape juice in gallon containers, and we go to Greenville, or we go to, to one of the big cities around here, we find Skid Row, and we find where the winos hang out. And we jump out hollering, hey, boys, hey, hey, boys, come here. We got free wine, free wine. Or they'd stagger out from them, you know, alleys, and they'd stagger out from one of them cardboard huts, and they'd come up through there, and we'd give them that, that uh, you know, plastic container of pure grape juice, and they'd pull it up and take a slug out of it, and they'd spit it out. They'd say, what's the matter with y'all? Them old boys would pull out their old wine bottle, and they'd say, the old is better. The old is better. See, no man... No man straightway desireth new if he's tasted that old wine. And you say, preacher, what are you trying to get at? Jesus said in verse 39, No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. Now I'm through. Fast forward to John chapter 2, marriage of Cana of Galilee. Y'all know the story well. Jesus has been invited with his disciples to come to the marriage of Cana of Galilee. And you know the story? They run out of wine. At that party, that festivity, they run out of wine. And Mary come running out and she said, Jesus, they have no wine. He said, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour's not yet come. He said, take these six water pots, fill them up with water. And he said, bear it out to the governor of the feast. 
and they took that water pots and they bore it over to the governor of the feast. Now, Jesus did not say hocus pocus, water turned to wine. He didn't say nothing. He said, take it, fill it to the brim, take it to the governor of the feast. And the Bible said them servants took those six water pots over there and they carried it to the governor of the feast. And they were out of wine. And when them boys got over there, the Bible said they began to dip out evidently. Different ones did. And that old governor of the feast said, hold it. Hold it. He said, hold it. He said, most men set forth their best wine first and save the worst to last. But he said, y'all done went and saved the best until last. And you see what happened. They got to drink water that had been turned to wine, friend. Wine like this world has never known. It wasn't an alcoholic beverage. It wasn't a fermented wine. It was of heavenly origin that this world had never seen before. Now watch this. You know how they got to taste that? How best they talked about that to their dying day. I can almost hear him saying to the grand young'uns, y'all remember, hey, hey, let us tell you, grand young'uns, boy, we was over there in the meeting. We was over there at Grib, had to scamp. We was over young at that meeting, and we ran out of wine, and Jesus came and turned water to wine, and we, we ain't never had no wine like that. They probably talked about it to the day they died. But you know how they got to partake of it? Do you know what allowed them to partake of that water that had turned to wine? Their old wine ran out. Their old wine ran out. Do you get the picture? Mary come running out and she said, Jesus, they have no wine. The old wine played out on them, friend. Poor management. I don't know what you could say. Poor management. Too many people come, but the, the, the old wine, they run out. And that accommodated them to taste the new wine. Now see if you can follow with me in this. I remember, and this is my own testimony now, and I'm not trying to confuse anybody or anything. I'm just telling you how it went in my life. I made that profession. I didn't get saved. And I went on as a preacher's son. And I knew all the right words. I, I went to Sunday school. I went out on visitation. I went on soul winning expeditions. I tell you, youth camps, you name it, I did it. I studied. I, I, I was arguing theology as a lost man. I was arguing the second coming doctrine with guys at the workplace that, that were preachers. And I was a lost boy. I even studied behind Dr. Sattler and, and Dr. Green on eschatology so I could argue up there at work with them all-millennial preachers and post-millennial preachers that was making fun of my daddy for being a pre-millennial preacher. And I knew the doctrine of the second coming pretty well as a lost man. But you know what happened? I can remember the place. I'm ashamed to have to tell you where it was. One night on a Friday night out on the town, out there in sin, Way, hey, way, way from God, never been saved. I remember sitting there, the same band, the same club, same group of people. And I remember sitting there, and all of a sudden I pushed that bottle back. I grabbed my leather jacket. Somebody said, Buster, where are you going? And I said, there's got to be something better to life than this. And my daddy had just died, and I'd been under conviction before he died. God got me under conviction. It had been three months since daddy had died, friend. I was under Holy Ghost conviction. God dealing with me. God dealing with me. And I'm not saying everybody's got to under conviction that long. Man, I tell you, when God calls, you can get saved, friend. It didn't take God that long to save me. It took me that long to get willing. I remember sitting there that night, pushed that thing back, and grabbed my coat and jumped up and said, there's got to be something better to life than this. And I got up and got out. It wasn't but about two weeks later. About two weeks later that I got saved and got born again. You see, you know what happened? The old wine ran out on me. The old wine, friend, and sin and wickedness, it didn't satisfy me no more, friend. 
ran out on me. It played out on me. Do you remember anything like that in your life? Do you ever remember getting tired of sin? Do you ever remember getting a belly full of sin? Do you ever remember seeing that as as that maybe you not not so much the young people but the older ones that had tasted that world that the, the Lord showed you it was a dead end road. The Lord showed you it's going to drag you to hell. And, and friend, I mean it didn't satisfy you no more. All of a sudden, you had a desire for something you didn't know what was. You was a thirsting after that living water. And you got thirsty, friend. It was the Holy Ghost who made you thirsty. He's the one that cultivated that, that desire in your heart for salvation. Amen. Do you remember when the old wine played out? I was preaching on these lines one night. Now, everybody can't always grasp all this. I mean, they can't all identify with it. There's an old boy come up to me, an old-time, old-timer. Old he come up to me and said, Tears in his eyes, and that lower lip a quiver. And he said, That's exactly how it happened to me. He said, That's how it happened to me. He said, Sin played out on me. Sin didn't satisfy me no more. And, and he said, I saw sin was a taking me to hell. He said, I cried out for mercy. Amen. So you know what you've got here, and you've seen it tonight. You've got a new worker by the name of Levite, and you've got a new wardrobe. New wardrobe. I'm going to ask you something tonight. Can you identify with what I'm saying? Are you wearing, are you, have you ever heard it preached like this? Are you wearing that garment of salvation? Has he clothed you in his imputed righteousness? I had a lady ask me the other night. She asked me some questions. And, and I could tell she was a little confused. And she began to ask me some questions. And she, well, she said, well, preacher, I don't know if I did that or not. I don't know if all that happened or not. I said, well, ma'am, I didn't know all this stuff when I got saved. But as I come along, and I read my Bible and I heard preaching, the blessed Holy Ghost inside of me was saying, yes, sir, that's that. Yeah, yes, sir. That, yes, that's right. Yes, yes. And the witness of the Holy Ghost to the Word of God, friend, said, that's how it happened. That's how it happened. Oh, may the Lord help us. I trust you know this great salvation. You know, I get in, these, I get in a lot of meetings today, and I know you men can understand. I get in a lot of these meetings. And all I know is this old-time gospel. And I preach like this, and I have people look at me, Sunday school teachers, deacons, even some preachers look at me. And they just wall their eyes like they don't know a bit more what you're talking about, nothing. But I'm glad I know about this old-timey, Holy Ghost wrought <laughs> salvation. Because that's the only kind God's got. And you better make your election and your calling sure. They ain't no second trips around, friend. We're not coming this way again. And I trust you're saved tonight. I trust you're born again. Let's bow our heads. I'm through preaching. You've been good to listen. Thank you for praying for us. Heavenly Father, I pray you take the little old message tonight. I thank you, Lord, for liberty each night to preach the Word of God. I thank you for the blessed Holy Ghost that's helped us and strengthened us, Lord, and I pray now that you'd help us to receive the engrafted word of God with meekness, Lord. May we receive it into our hearts. I pray, Father, if there's somebody here tonight lost, maybe somebody here, Lord, that's, that's double-dipped in religion, as it were, and they've never, never been saved. Lord, I pray for sinners tonight that you'd save them, that you'd reveal to them their lost condition. 
Lord, I pray that you'd help them to see the need of the Lord Jesus. And then, Lord, I want to pray for your people here tonight. They've been faithful to come, many of them every night. I thank you, Lord, for this camp and Brother Billy, and I pray that you'd touch and strengthen Brother Kelly and his family. I pray, Lord, you'd give a great week this next week. I pray that you'd bless Brother Joe, Dr. Arthur, as he comes to preach. I pray you'd send folk out and meet the financial need. And I pray, Lord, you'd run a river, as it were, of your power down through this old camp meeting. Lord, help us now to contend for the faith. I pray that you'd bless these preachers that come out tonight as they go tomorrow to stand in their pulpits and preach the Word of God. Pray you'd empower them. Pray you'd strengthen them. Pray for Dr. Sattler tonight, Lord, that you'd strengthen him. Help him, Lord, in these days. I pray, Lord, you'd give us a good night. You know we, our schedule. You know where we've got to go. We pray for help. And, Lord, again, I want to ask you, please speak to people that are here tonight lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me tonight? We'll sing one verse. Help Brother Billy sing. There's a fountain. If you're here tonight lost, why don't you come to Jesus? watching one night he hauled well, all those fellas I used to know over at Knoxville playing on WNOX radio station WRL WIVK WKXV and uh, uh, many of them got, had, had wealth Lord they've got money they have uh, uh, golf tournaments and they own property in Pigeon Forge and all kinds of entertainment. And I sat in that. I'd been saved about, well, I see, I was 40 years old. And the devil said to me, what have you done? What have you done? I said, these fellas, they, they made a lot of money. And this, but I tell you, there's more to it than money. 
I got to thinking, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? And I got kind of depressed. I couldn't think of nobody had been saved. Couldn't think. I could just couldn't think. But I come on out here to the camp meeting one night. There's a woman walked up and said, I don't guess you remember me. I was a little girl, 12 years old. You came to Bluff City, Tennessee and preached. And I got saved in your meeting. I want you to meet my children, my grandchildren. Well, there's one saved. Next thing you know, I got up to Greensboro. One old boy said, you came to church up here and preached, and I got saved. Said, I've been preaching 23 years now. <laughs> that kind of helped me. And one by one, just here and there, people seemed like would make it a point to come up and say to me, I got saved in the meeting. Well, I, I've never uh, amounted to much, I guess, in this world. And I don't have uh, great wealth and uh, anything like that. If I had to get up a $1,000, I guess I'd go to the bank and borrow it. But anyhow, I've had a wonderful life. <laughs> oh, my soul, what a time I've had in the Lord. And uh, all the joy and the peace that's in my heart. And one of these glad mornings, I'm glad I'm going to see him face to face. I'll see him face to face. And then I'll meet my loved ones and friends that's already outstripped me in the race. What a day, what a day, what a day when God's people get home. It's not all here. This is not all. But we have a blessed hope. Well, thank you for coming tonight. Now, don't forget Monday night.